If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on our show each week, send us an email over at thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. Behold, the genius Lanny Pop, the world's smartest man. Sometimes what goes on behind the scenes is stronger than the soap opera on the video score. You're listening to the Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo and co-host JP Zarka of ProWrestlingStories.com. Ladies and gentlemen, the poet and limerick writing, motivational speaking brother of WWE Hall of Famer Randy Savage, the genius, Leaping Lanny Poffo! Hello again, wrestling fans. This is Lanny Poffo, and this is my co-host... JP Zarka, ProWrestlingStories.com, and we're coming off the heels of a really great interview with Sean Oliver from Kayfabe Commentaries. How great was he? So great that I think we can't possibly top it. Well, we're certainly going to do our best this week. Now, the stories you and Sean shared in that interview were really great, particularly how you opened up and shared a different side of you about family life and how difficult it was growing up under the strict Catholic rigor of your father, Angelo. Yes, um, I think it was George Carlin that said, I was a Catholic until I hit the age of reason. No, as a parent, I was able to relate to things you were saying about how important it is to step up and raise your daughter with her mother the way that you want to, not the way that anyone else imposes on you. And I feel there's a lot of listeners who are very likely have gone through a similar type of situation that you did. Well, they always say um, grandparents and grandchildren get along very well because they share a common enemy. You shared these stories of balancing fatherhood with being on the road in Sean Oliver's new and highly recommended book, Father's Blood. I cannot recommend it enough for our listeners to pick up a copy. And of course, go back to last week's episode and have a listen if you haven't already. It's easily one of our best shows yet. Buy the book or go to hell. Now, another thing that caused a stir amongst the fans last week was how much they enjoyed hearing your audition on America's Got Talent, where you sang the song from Camelot. The fans are clamoring for you to sing more on the show. What do you say about that? I met her in a brothel on the shores of Singapore. They said she was a hooker. Of this, I'm pretty sure. I only had $10, but I slipped it in her hand. And it was grand for... She wore no blouses, I wore no trousers, we wore no underclothes. When I slipped it in her, I knew I'd back the winner, what a feeling no one knows. Off to the doctor, I left her where I blocked her, down where the bluegrass grows. Said the doctor with a twinkle, that pimple on your winkle will bloom like a big red rose. Thank you. Lanny Poffo, everybody. <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely be slipping in a bit of singing from time to time on our show. Not me. I, I'm much too shy for that. You know me. No, at the time of this recording, Florida and the East Coast has been hit with a lot of temperamental weather from the tropical storm Michael. In fact, our friend Fred Ottman was hit pretty bad up north of Florida. How are things going over there for you in Clearwater? Oh, there's been a few deaths up at the panhandle, but uh, basically we didn't get anything, you know, and I felt 
you know, I watch the weather channel and watch it swirling up and uh, we got a little rain. That was nothing. And uh, unfortunately, you know, the panhandle got it. And um, please evacuate, you know, when they tell you to. What's the deal? thought we would take the opportunity this episode to talk about your friend, the great, late Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. You were paired with him as a manager for a while, and you got to know the man in and out of the ring. I thought it would be good for us to dedicate a show to him, as he's always been a person that captures the interests of fans. Well, I'll do my best. I'll tell you what I remember. For me, Kurt Hennig was perfect. He was an AWA heavyweight champion, he was an AWA tag team champion with Scott Hall, and the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. Now unfortunately, he didn't capture the title off Hulk Hogan at Madison Square Garden, but he captured our hearts anyway, and eventually he became one of, if not the greatest intercontinental champions of all time. He could play golf, he could bowl, he could play darts, football, basketball, amateur wrestling. He could do magic with cards, as we saw on Regis and Kathy Lee. Well, almost anyway. You name it. He was a natural at everything that he did, and it was the total package from what we saw on television. Now, the best part about him was, when those cameras were rolling, he was arrogant with everything that he did, and he backed up the Mr. Perfect moniker in and out of the ring. Behind the scenes, he was a family man. He had four children, and despite being on the road 300 plus days a year, he never once missed a birth. Curtis Axel, real name Joe Hennig, mentioned in the 2008 WWE documentary, Life and Times of Mr. Perfect, that it never felt like his father was away, as he was always there for every sporting event that he had when he was growing up. Kurt was a funny guy, and he was a friend to everyone in the back. You know, you had long hours on the road, and he kept the mood light, and he brought everyone's smiles with ribs and practical jokes. If you ask anyone who knew Kurt, they've got a story to share about this. In life, he had a great beginning and middle, but sadly his life did not end on the most perfect of circumstances. He battled his demons, which ultimately took its toll in the end. When did you first meet Kurt? I never met him until he came to WWE or WWF. And I had a position as Leaping Lanny anytime a great heel was coming in and they were going to be built up to finally wrestle Hulk Hogan or something. They would put him with me. So I wrestled Kurt Henning in every single town, every single town. It must have been 30 matches. And let me tell you, JP, he might have been the greatest worker I ever touched. He was very, very great. You know, he made me great. Uh, and I'm not great. I was great when he was there. Somebody, you know, like if I have a good dance partner, then I rise to the level of the dance partner. And he always thanked me. He never hurt me. He always made me look good. And I always sold his finish like I was dead. And, you know, we cooperated. He was very, very nice man. Uh, and, you know, like I said about the Shaker Heights spike with the Beverly Brothers, you didn't have to worry about Kurt Henning. He was a consummate professional. And I tell you the truth, I still love him and miss him. Now, don't think that because that little fracas with uh, the Regis show, you know, that was a lot of pressure on us. You know, we're going to try to do our best, both of us. And uh, it was early in the morning. Maybe he's not a morning person. Maybe he get up on the wrong side of the bed. But just let me tell all the people of the Genius cast, 
I love Kurt Henning. My brother loved him. Everybody loves Kurt Henning. And my experience with him, you know, was 99% great. Well, you have to imagine just putting ourselves in his shoes. That morning, he woke up. He was doing a show on national television with Regis and Kathy Lee, a very popular show at the time. And that evening, he was going to be headlining Madison Square Garden against Hulk Hogan. A lot of pressure on that day. So, you know, maybe he was stuck in his head. Maybe he wasn't feeling 100% secure about things that day. But you never know. They've got Mr. Perfect, but here's the guy who is sort of his mentor, his advisor, and his admirer. Here's the genius. <laughs> genius, how are you? This is my wife. How are you? Sit down. Yes. Look how beautiful he is. This genius. Yes. It's nice to have you here. Genius, I, I take it from the way you're clutching that, that you have written a poem for the occasion. I thank you, Joy and Regis, for that lovely introduction. You know how to make a genius feel at home. But I came here to talk about a man who is to wrestling what Romulus and Remus were to Rome. It takes a real genius to appreciate perfection. Mr. Perfect is perfection at its best. By the power of the genius and the world's smartest man, let me introduce a very perfect guest. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight in Madison Square Garden, we will have a new perfect World Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion. And now, if you are quite ready, the genius presents Mr. Perfect. <laughs> Mr. Perfect. Let me move my chair. Make plenty of room. Joy here. wants to know why Mr. Perfect is all wet. Well, he's <laughs> got a couple hundred push-ups back. A couple of hundred push-ups, getting ready for the night's bout, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to be a tough, uh, tough one. Probably the toughest match I've ever had in my career. Uh, sure. Everybody knows what Hulk Hogan is to the World Wrestling Federation, but um, the time has come. I paid my dues. I have my credentials. That's right. And I will be the next it World Wrestling time. Federation. Now, champion. is this how we're wearing? Is this what we're wearing tonight? Very good possibility. Yeah, arms looks good on Mr. Perfect. Do you have those in all colors, Mr. Perfect? I mean, the suit. <laughs> curious, huh? You're curious, yeah, aren't you, Joy? Because this is the kind of guy you should have married. <laughs> because he's perfect. <laughs> you want to know something? He is perfect in everything he does. But let's uh, give you a little background to this tonight's battle. And incidentally, we've got the Royal Rumble coming up, too. We'll talk about that in a second. But now you... you uh, Wait a minute, it was the genius who took on Hulk Hogan, didn't he, on Saturday night uh, right. wrestling? Yeah. And as a matter of fact, let's take a look at that clip right now. Here's the Hulk and the genius in the ring. We'll show you what happened. We'll talk about it, too, about it goes on. Genius not doing too well right here. <laughs> Hulk throwing the genius out. But wait a minute, watch what happens. Look at the Hulk. Now, now there's his buddy, Mr. Perfect. Actually threw the genius right out. Now watch what happens here. Hulk's going to leave the ring, go down, 
He throws just the perfect out of the way. He should have never thrown you. He should have never put his hands on you. He had no business doing that. He throws the genius back in the ring, but watch what happens. Well, here's your belt, Hulk. If you want it here, how about it? Hey! He hits Hulk Hogan with his own championship belt, knocking him down, rendering him unconscious. And what happened then, genius? The genius was victorious. And you know what I've noticed? What's that? Two things since my victory over Hulk Hogan. What? False friends and true enemies. Oh, really? <laughs> Everybody jealous of you, in other words, huh? Can you blame them? <laughs> How did you two guys get together, anyway? Well, I mean... There's a lot of people ask a lot of questions about the genius, yes. what his wrestling abilities are, and what he exactly does for Mr. Perfect. Yeah. First of all, yeah. mind your own business. <laughs> Think that was too personal? But the way he looks hey, at All him. great leaders in this country are even uh, on Star Trek, M Captain Kurt. Yeah. He had Mr. Spock. Nobody questioned him. That's right. Right. He's That's my right. advisor. Okay. I've covered so much ground. I'm doing so many different things. And being absolutely perfect, I don't want to miss a thing. <laughs> but have you noticed the way he looks at you? No, but you have. <laughs> <laughs> I never. Uh, you know what? Look at, look at him. Look the way he's looking at Regis. you. Regis. Yes. I am a monogamous heterosexual. Yes. Are you questioning? No, I'm not questioning anything. No, I'm just no saying. I, I think it's very touching the way you admire Mr. Perfect, and, and of course you're absolutely right. He is perfect. There's and millions of other people out there that admire me, just men and women. Everywhere I go, every place I do, it's the same old thing. Yeah. I got to wear my hair up because when I walk through airports, people are trying, you know. Oh yeah, trying to touch you. Oh, yeah. 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 No, I got to wear my hair up too. Listen, <laughs> we're gonna come right back, show you more. This is just a moment. <laughs> Did you see how butch I got when I said, Regis, I'm a monogamous heterosexual. Are you questioning? No, no, I didn't say anything, genius. You know, all of a sudden I got offended. But the thing is, um, I had been leaping Lanny for five years in the WWE, WWF, whatever. And um, I had to change my character. And since nobody else was doing it, I said, let me do it. And, you know, Hulk Hogan loved it. Mr. Perfect did not. You know, uh, I decided to go with Hulk. Yeah, you definitely had a bit more bass in your voice when you when you uh, responded to Regis there. I based my voice. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any funny stories to share about your experience on the Regis and Kathy Lee show? Well, yes, I do. And I've never said this to anybody, but I might as well say it here. Because uh, we expose everything here, don't we? That's what we're all about, exposing the business. Well... This is none of your business, okay? But I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Go on. Oh, I don't like to speak ill of the dead, and I really, really love Mr. Perfect. But here was the problem. He never wanted me to be his manager. He wanted Bobby Heenan. Now, Bobby Heenan would be a better choice than me anyway. Who was the greatest manager in history? Bobby the Brain Heenan. Now, I love Bobby Heenan, and here's why. When I was going to become the genius, you know, I felt that the brain and the genius is a little too close. So I walked up to Bobby Heenan and I said, they're talking about making me the genius. Do you feel that that's an infringement on your gimmick? I said, because, you know, the genius and the brain, that's like the same thing. And he says, no, listen, um, if you can get over as the genius, let me help you. I'll do anything I can for you. I said, you know something, JP, what a guy, huh? The best. Bobby Heenan's an absolute legend. What a nice person to do that for me, that not be threatened by me being the genius. And then he always had, like, pointers for me and tried to help me and tried to, 
you know, and I definitely had a lot to learn, you know what I mean? And like, that was the master of being a manager. Right. I don't think there's too many people that don't think that Bobby Heenan wasn't the greatest manager that ever lived. Um, some people that are older think it might have been um, the Grand Wizard. That's a, that's from a bygone era, though. And that was uh, Ernie Roth. So, you know, it's just an argument over, you know, modern old days and really old days. Michael Jordan versus Kobe or LeBron. Right. There you go. I like Mike. There you go. So Mr. Perfect didn't want me as his manager. He wanted Bobby the Brain Heenan. And I don't blame him because Heenan was the better man. After the feud with Hogan was over, Mr. Perfect was going to go with Bobby Heenan and they were going to stay together. So when we got to the Regis Philbin show, a couple of things happened. Mr. Perfect says, just do the poem to introduce me and I'll take it from there. So I said, well, if they ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. And he says, I said, just do the poem and I will take it from there. I said, and I said, if they ask me a question, I'm going to answer it. You can't just sit there and not respond. Well, I wasn't going to, um, you know, and I thought this was a ridiculous thing to tell me. Okay. And um, I mean, I like Mr. Perfect, but this was going to be a problem. He was in a bad mood or something. So we're in the locker room and I'm off by myself. And Regis Philbin comes up to me and says, Lanny, what's the matter with your guy? I said, what's the matter? He says, we're going to do bowling. I'm going to bowl. I'm going to bowl. And then he's going to bowl. And because, you know, he bowled on the, and he bowled with 300 game. So we're going to do it. So he says, how come he doesn't want to do it? I got half a mind to throw you guys out of here. We don't need this crap. He said worse. Okay. Yeah. That's Regis is telling me. Yes. Mm -hmm. so, so I said, well, first of all, he's not my guy. This is somebody that they threw together with me. Secondly, I think I know why he doesn't want to do it. He bowled a 300 game with 12 edits. Right. Okay. And now if he goes on the live television and doesn't throw a strike, you know, he's not going to look like Mr. Perfect before his big match with Hulk Hogan on Madison Square Garden. So he says, well, I don't give a blank and blank and blank. He says, you guys, you know, I've been trying to get wrestlers on this show and sometimes you guys are good and sometimes you guys just suck. He says, and I'm tired of this bullshit. Wow, Regis. You know, Regis is telling me, oh my God, yes, he's terrible. And, um, but I don't blame him because, you know, when you're on the Regis show, you do what Regis wants. Right, for a small man, he's got some bite. I said, look, I'll bowl with you, but I don't think Mr. Perfect would be happy. He says, I'm sick of this shit. And he says, this, this has got to stop, you know. So then we go out there, and in the first segment, he said, wait a minute, it was the genius that wrestled Hulk Hogan on Saturday night's main event. So that's when I took the ball, you know. He's looking right at me. And then in, during the commercial, Mr. Perfect says, I told you not to say anything. And I said, he asked me a question. So now we've got a little bit of a confrontation between Perfect and I. Back now with uh, Mr. Perfect and, of course, the genius. And let me show you what happened after that bout, which the genius won, incidentally, because Hulk could not climb back into the ring. Uh, this is what happened in the dressing room, and this is what led up to tonight's match. Kurt Hennig, it is one thing for Hulk Hogan to lose by virtue of a countout to the genius. 
It's another thing for you to desecrate the very meaning of Hulkamania. This has never been a perfect belt, and Hulk Hogan, you're not a perfect champion. And I'll follow you around to every arena if I have to, and I'll destroy every belt until you give me a title shot the perfect way. There it is. That's my challenge. That is quite a challenge. Do you realize what happened here? Hulkamania was destroyed right before your eyes as you hammered that belt into submission. That belt means as much to Hulk Hogan as all the fans and all the little Hulkamaniacs that follow him around. Yeah. And I knew by destroying the belt I would get his attention because mm -hmm. he had been avoiding me for the last year. I was in the World Wrestling Federation with an undefeated record, but for some reason couldn't get a match with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. It's tonight it? in Madison Square Garden, by the way. It's yeah. going to take place. And it's because of smashing the belt, or whatever the cause is, yeah. I'm here, the time is right, and you're going to be having a new World Wrestling Federation. Well, I'm going to go there myself, i got to see this. And incidentally, what is it, next month, Royal Rumble? Royal, Royal Rumble, the 21st, uh, you can pick up that on your pay-per-view cable. It's yeah. uh, going to be all over the United States. 30 guys in the ring at once, you know, yeah. wrestling, and whoever whine, whoever lasts, whoever winds up in the ring alone is Every the Every two minutes, a new contestant comes into yeah. the ring, and the only way to be eliminated is over the top rope to the cement floor. Yeah. And it's a perfect opportunity for me <laughs> for to show the whole world that 29 other men aren't perfect. All right. Now, you have seen Mr. Perfect on television. He has uh, an ace at basketball. He does high dives he off the everything. board tremendously. You know that genius. What else has he done? Um, card tricks, too. Well, he? he's done that. He's done bowling. I mean, he's done everything. We've rigged up a little bowling thing here. I'm going to give you a little lesson on how to bowl right now, okay? You think you're so hot, Mr. Perfect? Let's yeah. try this one, Regis. This one? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. fine. It's heavy. Don't drop it. Okay, perfect. Now watch this. Genius, you could be leaving Mr. Perfect after this, and you could be with me. No, right. wait a minute. No, no, don't do that. You want to go right between the first and the second pin. What is this, from your old thing? Yes, I remember. Days? I took bowling in school. Between the first and second pin? Are you watching, Mr. Perfect? I'm watching. All right, babe. Here you go. But I got close. I got four down, didn't I? All right, what do you got for me? Somebody the ball. Somebody get the ball. Oh. What do you got for me, Perfect? I've already been on national television and bowled a perfect game. Yeah, I know you have. And I've already been on television, and everything else I've ever done in my life has been absolutely perfect. Yeah. And for me to come out here and bowl today would be senseless. Number one, you don't even have a right kind of bowling alley. I understand that. And I've got the biggest match of my life tonight. I didn't come out here to bowl. Yeah, I understand. But you if have you have a deck of cards, maybe a genius cards. You have some cards? What are you going to do, a deck of cards? Did you know you a card shark, too? Genius, what are you reaching for? Let's just go. Just be, be beside him. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be amazed what he's got underneath that gown. Uh, okay. Pick now a card, any song. card. Now watch very carefully. The cards match his outfit, isn't it? <laughs> oh, you are an old shark. Look. Just, you know, I saw somebody do this once on TV. You know? <laughs> okay, pick a card, any card to deck. Go ahead, George, take it. Okay, I want this Can you remember what it is? No, yes. <laughs> okay. okay. Okay, put it in. Can I put it down sure, here? Sure, put it right where I stop. Put it in. Yes, see, I know the history. <laughs> Might have goofed me up, huh? Is that the card you just no, had? No, that's not the card. See, that's the first card. It's not over. You have to show it. No, that's not the card either. Is that the card? You know that's not the Genius, card. Genius, get a new man. No, is this the no, card? No, that's not the card. Okay, is this the card? No. Okay, none of them four are the card, right? Right. Four cards mm -hmm. here, right? Right. 
Look at them again now. Is that your car? No. Okay, putting it down, I'll bring the next one up. Is that your car? No. These two for sure are not your car. Right. That's not your car. No. What's your car? The Queen of Hearts. There it is. I, Queen of Diamonds. I can't believe that's, it. That's, that's, that's the car. Just like everything else I've done. Perfect. Now you got it. Now you know why he's Mr. So when they come back from the break, I didn't say another word, but nobody asked me any questions either. And if they had, I would have answered because if I throw you the ball, you catch the ball and then you throw it back to me. That's how it's done. That's why a conversation works. You know, you listen, I'll talk. I'll listen, you talk. That's how it works. Otherwise, you're a poor conversationalist. And I'm not about to start being a bad conversationalist on the Regis show. No. So, Mr. Perfect was very upset and he thought I upstaged him or tried to. Well, eventually, everything worked out for the end, you know. And uh, the thing is, he was a very good guy. What he was worried about was not important. It would have been better if he would have gone on live TV and thrown a six instead of a strike. So that's my point, and uh, I hope you don't think less of me for bringing it up. No, fair enough. I mean, that was your experience on that show, and you know, thank you for sharing that. You could tell there was a bit of tenseness just watching that clip. You could probably pick up on that in the audio that we just put in our show. You know, when Mr. Perfect did that card trick rather than bowling, even Regis got it wrong. So I could have imagined that once the camera stopped rolling, Kurt was upset that even the magic chick didn't go to plan. Right, and I'll tell you, the best thing that happened to me was um, Regis's um, handler, or whatever she was at the time, uh, personal assistant, was Jody Barberi. And since then, uh, she's become Jody Barberi Harris. And the Harris family is in Las Vegas, and they have a fantastic company. And she is the CEO of Fun. And um, I forgot the name of it, but it's... Uh, Trust me, they do video work for weddings, and they do DJ work, and they do everything. Yeah, Jody Barberi, friends for life. To bring it back, Kurt started off his career in the AWA territory with his father, Larry the Axe, on January 30th, 1980, under the name Cool Kurt Hennig. And just after two years in the business, he left for New York in 82, where he had the opportunity to wrestle greats such as Playboy Buddy Rose and Harley Race. He even had the chance to wrestle at Madison Square Garden when he was younger, which he absolutely loved. He said nothing could ever beat that. He returned back to the AWA in 1984, up until 1988, and that was when he was one of the promotion's top stars. On May 2nd, 1987, he defeated the legendary Nick Bockwinkle to become the AWA World Heavyweight Champion, and he will hold that belt for 53 consecutive weeks before he lost the belt to Jerry Lawler on May 9, 1988. And that's when Kurt left to join the WWF again. Now, Kurt's wife, Leonisi, on the WWE documentary told a funny story about the two of them. They were at Vince's house, and they were asked to come up with a name for Kurt to use in the WWF. Of course, when it comes to wrestlers' names, alliterations usually involved. So they were coming up with names such as Hurricane Hennig, Heroic Hennig, or King Curtis. They struggled coming up with something catchy, so Vince asked them, 
What do you like to do? To which he described he likes to hunt, fish, play basketball, golf. He just loved everything. And so from there, Vince inquired further. So of these, what's your best sport? To which Kurt responded, I'm great at everything. And from there, the name Mr. Perfect was born. Not long later, some of the most memorable vignettes hyping Mr. Perfect's arrival to the WWF aired on television. Hi, I'm Kurt Henning, but to you people, I'm Mr. Perfect. A man who has done everything in his life absolutely perfect, without a flaw, without a blemish. In fact, when I was born, the doctor handed me to my mother, and the very first word out of her mouth was... Perfect. What else? I am going to sink a 40-foot putt. Bowl the perfect game. Perfect form on the basketball court. I am the perfect passer. By the way, that's checkmate. Perfect. Every time. That was perfect. (laughs) What did you expect? (laughs) As talented as Kurt was at all the sports in those vignettes, Bruce Pritchard pulled back the curtain a bit by saying that while he was really great at everything that he did, once those cameras started rolling for those commercials for those vignettes, Kurt would miss every shot he took. He got a bit camera shy, so what Bruce had to do was he had to tell the cameraman to just keep those cameras rolling. This way, Kurt didn't know the cameras were on, and he would be a bit more relaxed in himself while taking his shots. Everything was then spliced together nicely in post-production. Now, You were around during this time. Uh, Do you have any stories to share about these vignettes? How was he looked at amongst the guys? Were people excited for his arrival as much as the fans? Tell me a bit more about what it was like to be on the inside during this time. Well, everybody liked him. He was a funny guy. And he actually was with me for quite a while. You know, I was wrestling me in every town. And then they pushed him further and further. And by the time he was ready for Hogan, that's when I wrestled Hulk Hogan on NBC. And then we joined hands and that's how it all began. I don't know the chronological situation. Um, I know that the match took place October 31st, Halloween, 1989 in Topeka. And then it didn't air until Thanksgiving weekend. Right, so you had a couple of weeks go until that aired on television. You must have been incredibly excited. I was beside myself with anxiety, yes. I was hoping nothing big happened so that they would cancel the show. You see what I mean? Yeah, that, yeah that's happened before, actually. I mean, there's a story on ProWrestlingStories.com about how the Hart Foundation was going against the Rockers, Marty Jannetty and Shawn Michaels, when the ring ropes broke. And in that match, which was taped for NBC's Saturday night's main event, they won the belts off the Hart Foundation. It's the only time the Rockers won the belts. But because the ropes broke, Vince decided never to air that footage. And it was erased from history and the belts were given back to the Hart Foundation with no explanation given. So, of course, as we know in the business, anything can happen and it could be easily erased. And luckily it wasn't. That's right. And uh, I think Vince did the right thing because he had the plan that his rings were the greatest in the world. And if the, if the ropes break, you know, it makes him, it makes WWF look bad. Going back to Mr. Perfect in the ring. He was one of the best. He had the perfect drop kick. He had the perfect suplex, the perfect plex, clothesline, you name it. He made everything look amazing. He was smooth in the ring and he made anyone who stepped into the ring with him look like a million bucks. 
He matched his perfect moniker brilliantly, and he did it with this cocky, outgoing arrogance. One of my favorite things that he would do is he would spit his gum out and he would slap it with his hand in the air. He never seemed to miss. Did you ever witness Kurt miss his gum? No, he doesn't miss gum. There you go. And of course, he would take his towel as well and he would whip it behind his back and he would catch it. And one time, there's this clip that's online, he kind of threw it behind him and it was right in front of Bobby Heenan. And without looking, he caught it. And it was like, <laughs> it just looks like a bit of magic there. So that that's something you definitely need to check out. So Kurt was really cool when he had his entrances. He had a lot of things he would do that captured my attention as a fan. You were paired with Perfect for quite a while on television and as manager. How did this pairing come about? And what were some of your favorite memories of working with him being on the road with Kurt? And of course, you mentioned he didn't want this at first. So I'm interested to hear more, you know, what happened behind the scenes. Well, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. You know, because just like where you always play the macho man's thing, um, things, there are things go, that go on that we don't know about, okay? And I was just there to do as I was told and to do it with the best of my ability. And that's the way it is, you know? Um, and I knew that nothing lasts forever, and it didn't. But I still think about those four months of main events, and I think, wow, how lucky I was, you know? I was a I was a baby face, then I became a heel, then I became a main eventer. And you know, how many guys would kill to have four months as a main eventer in the WWE? So no, nothing lasts forever, but I have my memories, and that's what I prefer. I have selective amnesia. I don't want to remember everything. I want to remember that. And that's why I have my website, geniuslannypafo.com. When you see those memories, those are my happy memories. If you see other memories, like on YouTube, uh, some of these matches I'm not proud of. But of course, through our show, we'll we'll bring up everything and we'll we'll, we'll uh, try to heal your selective amnesia and talk about the good, the bad, the ugly. But tell me some stories about being with Kurt. Were you friends once the camera stopped rolling? Did you travel with him? Did you ever go out with him, have drinks with him, have dinner with him? Tell me what he was like to be like once the cameras were not rolling. Okay, I never traveled with him. We just wound up in the same towns. And I've got a little story if you want to know. Absolutely. Okay, now this story I've never told anybody, but I should, okay? It was toward the end of the run for me. Okay, it was right before WrestleMania 6, which was going to be the last day that we're together. And we were double booked. Okay, we were. it was Friday. We we're going to be in the Checker Dome in St. Louis at 8 o'clock. And then Saturday, we're going to be in Milwaukee, Wisconsin at 2 o'clock and Madison, Wisconsin at 8 o'clock. So that's a double shot. Right. Now, they don't call me the genius for nothing. I think you've learned this, right? Absolutely. Okay. I'm not saying, I'm not going to try to say it was so foggy I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. But it was so foggy that I could barely see my hand in front of my face. Okay. It was very foggy. After the show in St. Louis, I said, there's no way that there's going to be a plane at six in the morning that's going to go to Milwaukee. If they do take off in this soup, I don't want to be on that plane. And if they don't, we're going to miss the shot. 
So I didn't stay with the guys, and I'll tell you why. They always stayed at the Acme Ritz Central Arms Waldorf Plaza, and I stayed at the Dew Drop Inn or the Motel 6 or the, you know, Red Roof Inn or something like that, uh, the Econo Lodge. You know, that's where I prefer to stay because if I'm going to be unconscious, I just want to put spine to feathers and get the hell home. The right. other thing is I don't drink. The other thing is I don't smoke. The other thing is I'm not going to party with these guys because they're animals. Okay. So I always went my own direction, saved my money, kept my nose clean, stayed out of the news. Okay. So I had already had a room at the Econo Lodge in St. Louis. But I decided, I decided to leave the room and I took our cab to the bus station and I said, I want to go to Milwaukee. And they said, okay, great. It's at midnight. So I hung around. I went from in the by bus from St. Louis to Chicago, changed buses and got to uh, Milwaukee. And I was there very, very, very early and I hadn't slept a wink because, you know, I was on the bus. And I felt that um, somebody might try to steal my stuff or you know how it is. I kept an eye open the whole time. And okay, what I'm trying to tell you is I get there and of the six people that were booked from St. Louis to Milwaukee and then on to Madison, Wisconsin, and I, they give you the booking sheet so you know who they are. There's only one guy that made it and that was me. So I told Jack Lanza, I said, look, I came here by bus because there was a lot of fog in St. Louis and I didn't think anybody'd make it. So I'm here. I don't think the other five guys are going to be here. So he says, oh man, thanks for telling me. So sure enough, they didn't show up. Then, so I wrestled in Milwaukee. I haven't had any sleep. Then I catch a ride to Madison, Wisconsin. And that's when the other guys are there. And... Mr. Perfect says, Pafo, where the fuck were you? And I said, I was in Milwaukee where you were supposed to be. He says, well, how the fuck did you get there? I said, why do you think they call me the genius? And I never told him, and I never did, and I never told anybody, but the fans deserve to know. That's why I'm telling you. Now, that first show on the Saturday, when a lot of talent didn't make it, did you end up having to do a 60-minute Iron Man match to kind of keep the audience going? <laughs> How did they fill the card? Not well, but at least I was part of the solution, not part of the problem. Because the number one thing you're supposed to do in wrestling is show the fuck up. Right. And the other thing you're supposed to do is do good when you get there. Now, they, the fans were disappointed because some of the stars didn't make it. But we had enough talent there to give the fans a good show. And I was part of the reason the fans got that good show. Okay. Still, I was still given my future endeavor contract. We wish you luck in your future endeavors. Then I had to take six months off and then go to the Beverly Brothers. So I'm just trying to tell you there's a reason Lanny always makes the shot. Okay. And um, when I go to New Japan, they're going to know that I'm reliable if not, the, if not, you know, whether I'm good or not remains to be seen. But they're going to know that I'm reliable and I am polite and professional and always sober. Well, you used your gumption and it worked out for you in the end during that double shot. I'm, I've always been interested in double shots. Now, 
it's a lot of pressure for the wrestlers. You you end up wrestling earlier in the day, and then you got to catch some type of transport to get to the next show in another town or another city. How uh, how many double shots did you do in your career, and were there ever close calls of you not making it in time? Oh, there have been close calls, but the fact is, if you want to get there early, you have to leave early. Okay, so and um, you know now it, everybody says wrestling was better then. It wasn't. It wasn't better then. Because I have an iPhone, I get the latest one every year. And, you know, that's my that's my big treat to myself. We have GPS now. I couldn't find my ass with two hands before the GPS thing. You know, I have mm-hmm. uh I was a I was a Fagawi a member of the Fagawi tribe. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. I was a part of the Fagawi tribe. I stand on the top of the hill, look all four directions, and I say, Where the Fagawi? <laughs> We as people tend to look back with rose-colored glasses on the past, you know, a bit of nostalgia. Yeah, the 80s were better, the the 90s were better. Yes, right now, we're technologically savvy, but I think when you look back and watch the entertainment that was on television during that time, miles better than what we've got today. You know, from the wrestling side of things, from television, movies, maybe that's just me. I tend to kind of use those rose-colored glasses, but... Do you have any funny stories of, well, maybe not funny, but stressful stories of other wrestlers trying to make these double shots and sometimes triple shots? I've heard stories of Hogan having to be at three events on the same day. Well, first of all, I disagree with you. I believe the stars today were better than us. I know that gets a lot of heat, but that's the way I feel about it. Hey, okay? fair enough. You're entitled to that opinion. Yes, we sucked. And um, in, in my day, we had overweight people that, you know, I could wrestle now, at my age, almost 64, I could wrestle if it was back in the 80s. All I would do is be grabbing, uh, pulling my trunks and taking a foreign object and gouging your eyes while you sell for 10 minutes. They call that wrestling back then. I call it shortcuts. Nowadays, there are no shortcuts. You have to be in shape and you have to be on the ball. And if you suck, they're going to know it. So in, it's much more athletic today. It may have been more dramatic in my day because, um, well, if WWE would fire all the writers, maybe then you would get a personality like uh, Roddy Roddy Piper, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Macho Man Randy Savage, Jake the Snake Roberts, all those guys. You know, because they had the charisma, you cannot write for those people. They have to write for themselves. So that's the only thing I agree with you with. You know, the personalities are... Um, handicapped because of too much writing. And that's why these guys look like they're reading. That's why Ring of Honor looks like they're not reading because they're not reading. Their personalities are out there. Now, given what I said before, yes, I feel the product was better in the past. Nowadays, we do have a lot of talent. I love a lot of the wrestlers currently. I I don't like the storylines as much. Things seem to be just kind of mishmashed, thrown together, you know, the morning of or minutes before they start rolling camera. But, you know, what I miss, though, you were talking about how everyone's in shape. I miss those circus side acts, you know, the 500-pound men going at it. Maybe they weren't, obviously sporty or athletic but it's fun to watch as a fan like those yokozunas those earthquakes you name it you know we've got this cruiserweight tournament going on with wwe every year now they need to do an overweight tournament 500 plus you know get the best from the world put it out there i'd watch that what what about you uh 
No. Um, <laughs> Yokozuna, Yokozuna was great. There are some, King Kong Bundy was great. Um, some of these, because these people could move around. You know, there are some people like Adrian Adonis in his day, you know, could move around even though they were obese. Um, it's just not my style, okay? And uh, I agree with you in the fact that we need diversity. We need, uh, you know... Um, you need a bit of everything. Yeah, I, like, I think I like a, big, a bit of everything, but Randy was always against the big guys because he was angry that they couldn't work. They were lazy, they were fat, they were flabby, and they took all the money. That was the way it was in the 70s. And in the 80s, he didn't want that to happen to himself. So he was a sizist. <laughs> That's right. Now, going back to Hennig, as the saying goes, sometimes the title makes the wrestler. But in Kurt's case, it was he who made the title. And he made the Intercontinental Championship mean more than it did before he achieved it. He could do anything that the other wrestlers could do, but he could do it quicker and better. Having shared a ring not only with but against Kurt, would you agree with that? Absolutely. He was fantastic and he made me fantastic. And, you know, I don't want to put myself down, but I was a better worker with Kurt Henning. I'll tell you what, I wrestled Kurt Henning. I got over better losing to him than beating Barry Horowitz. Hand on the back for that one. We can't have a show on Kurt Hennig without talking about his knack for practical jokes. He was a notorious river, and he would do silly things like put shaving cream on the end of someone's phone and call it, and they'd end up with shaving cream in their ear. He would put hot mustard and lighter fluid in the crotchal region of people's underwear. We're talking something that burns your fingertips. He would always put a little hole in the top of people's beer cans so that when they picked up to take a drink, they would pour it all over themselves. And one time in a battle royal, Kurt brought a little plastic eyedropper bottle to the ring, and he would squirt it a little here, a little there. And before you know it, everyone started moving away from one another, looking and shouting, "'Who just shat in the ring?' Kurt was over there laughing on the side. Gene Okerlin, he remembers one time when Joe Laurinaitis from the Road Warriors, he was throwing a Christmas party and all the boys were at his house. Now, Joe Animal had a child. He was about two or two and a half years old and he had this little potty that he used for training him up in the upstairs bathroom. Well, Kurt, he shuffled up to the bathroom. He couldn't help but notice this little trinket in the corner. So he made a little bit of a deposit in there. He shut the lid, left the scene. And not long later, Joe goes upstairs to go to use the bathroom and he saw what was in the toilet. He shouted down real proud to his wife saying, look what this kid has done at two years old. It was so funny. He was so proud. And there's Kurt just laughing because he's the one who left it in there. Were you at this party? No, I wasn't at the party. And um, I loved a lot of things about Kurt Henning. The ribs were not my favorite thing. Obviously, you were around some of these ribs. Did Kurt sometimes take it too far? I I never hung around Kurt, only when we were supposed to be together. Uh, I didn't travel with him. Um, I was I didn't travel with anybody, really. Um, I was interested in saving money. And uh, I, I traveled with Rick Martel, Tito Santana. They were similar to me in that they were trying to save money and bring it home. You know, some of these guys would take a draw every night. And by the time they got their check, all those deductions, you know, they didn't have much of a check at all. Right. And, um, you know, success is not in a day. Success is daily. And you have to really keep your eye on it if you want to amount to anything. Did you hear any stories about ribs Kurt would pull? 
I heard them, but it went one ear and out the other. I'm not the guy to talk to about ribs. You know, I just don't enjoy ribs. I think it doesn't take long before they become cruel. And fortunately, nobody ever ribbed me. And I'm pretty sure they weren't afraid of me. They were afraid of Randy. Well, fair enough. So let's go back to his career. Uh, he ended up suffering a bad back injury, which is when he then transitioned into commentating in WWF. That is where we as fans got to hear his sense of humor throughout each show. And as he was healing up, he began to transition back into the ring, which is something that he wanted to do. But that didn't last long in WWF as he was given the opportunity to join WCW in the middle of 1997. That was after his contract with Vince was up. There wasn't any bad blood when he was leaving the company, but according to Kurt's father, Larry, it was a matter of economics. Eric Bischoff said that he was brought in to utilize what he was really good at, wrestling as well as giving interviews. He was still very much a good worker, and during one memorable spot, he gave the perfect plex to a young big show. He was then known as the Giant. Now that feat still astounds me to this day. In WCW, he bounced from one group to the next. He was given a spot in the Four Horsemen by taking Arn Anderson's place as the enforcer in the group. And not long later, he would be brought into NWO after turning on Ric Flair. But unfortunately, at this time, it was very hard for a spotlight to shine on anyone because the NWO was starting to swell with members, and they had a lot of people on that roster at the time. In one of my favorite moments from Kurt's time in WCW, he was in a stable known as the West Texas Rednecks, and he sang the song, Rap is Crap. In fact, that's one of the best things I'd ever seen him do. I love country girls I like Willie Nelson And don't forget about Merle There's only one thing that I hate Cause it's a bunch of crap I hate rap I like NASCAR racing Richard Petty is still the king Yeah, they call me a redneck But you know that's a beautiful thing there's only one thing that I hate Cause it's a bunch of crap I hate rap There's only one thing that I hate Cause it's a bunch of crap I hate rap It's a bunch of crap I hate rap Rap is crap Rap is crap Now during his time in WCW He was having a lot of fun He was making a lot of money And he didn't have that pressure Of needing to be the guy Skipping ahead to January 2002, Mr. Perfect returned to the WWE as a surprise entrant in the Royal Rumble. He came back, he kicked ass, and he was the third to last person to be eliminated from that match. In fact, he was only brought in for the one night, but he really impressed the higher-ups, and he was taken on to do some more shows and work for WWE. He was in great shape. 
He looked awesome, and he seemed to be on his way to making a huge impact in WWE again. They started airing those fun vignettes of him again, and he got to wrestle many of the greats who were hot at the time, such as Brock Lesnar, Edge, Stone Cold, RVD, Jeff and Matt Hardy, Rikishi, you name it. But this was short-lived. On May 5th, 2002, just a few months after joining back up in New York again, World Wrestling Entertainment came to terms on his release. Many feel this was as a result of the unbelievable chaos that ensued on the fateful flight, which has since been passed into wrestling folklore as the plane ride from hell. On the very day Kurt was released, WWE had finished its tour of Britain with the taping of the Insurrection pay-per-view in London. WWE at the time chartered a private flight for all of its employees, which included an open bar. Now you can imagine how that went. Given you had a bunch of tired employees who had just finished a successful run of dates overseas, a lot of debauchery took place. Now if you haven't read about the plane ride from hell, you seriously need to head on over to ProWrestlingStories.com and find that article. We break down every detail from the flight and includes a lot of stories of an orgy of excess, violence, sexual misconduct by people like Nature Boy Ric Flair, or even at one point, he's strutting up and down the aisle, nothing but his robe on, junk flying everywhere, going up to stewardesses saying, come on, sweetheart, woo, as he opens up his robe to them. You know, so despite this kind of behavior taking place by others, it's what Kurt Hennig did that WWE management felt was worth terminating his contract over. I'm going to read to you some sections from that article referring to Mr. Perfect and Brock Lesnar. This includes quotes from Sean Waltman and Just Incredible. Kurt Hennig and Brock Lesnar were close friends who traveled on the road together and they both hailed from Minnesota. But during this long flight, they got restless, which led to them starting off doing a bit of a friendly amateur wrestling style takedown tussle after Kurt insisted he was a better grappler than the younger Brock. Now, Sean Waltman says, Kurt Hennig was always real competitive, you know? Him and Brock, we all hung out because we all lived in Minnesota at the time. Just Incredible comes in and says, They weren't fighting at first, but they were very competitive. So they just started scraping along, like messing around, and then something happened where it got serious. It didn't come to blows, but you know, you know that opening on an airplane where you've got the emergency exit row? That's where they were. Now, Brock's a wrestling shooter, and Kurt's a shooter kind too, so they took it serious. They didn't want to give in to each other. They were going at it hard. You know, Lesnar was shooting in and driving Hennig so hard into the side, and they almost popped open the emergency exit door. They're at 25,000, 30,000 feet up in the air, and people including Dave Finley, Triple H, Paul Heyman, they had to separate the two. Now, Sean Waltman continues, Obviously, WWE management made a big deal out of it. The fucking door. They kept talking about how the door kept, you know, it could have been open, which is impossible for it to happen at that altitude. So it was real stupid. In the flight before that, Vince and Kurt Angle, they had a takedown tournament in the aisle too. But as soon as that happened with Hennig and Lesnar, they made such a big deal out of it. It's a bit of an unfair thing if you ask me. Vince and Kurt had a tussle on a flight. Nothing happens, but of course, Mr. Perfect and Brock Lesnar have a tussle. Mr. Perfect gets fired. And to think, even Ric Flair kept his job after this. Have you heard about the plane ride from hell before this? Yeah, I heard about it. Um, Doesn't impress me at all. I hate those plane rides from hell. I like to just 
here's a strange thing about Lanny. I got 23A, that's my ticket. I sit at 23A and I stay there the whole flight. And uh, I don't have my robe on, I don't have my junk showing, and I don't try shooting with anybody. And although it is impossible to open up a door at 30,000 feet, um, I'd rather have nobody try. Unfortunately, life took a turn for Kurt after this, and he was released from WWE the moment the plane landed. He took a few independent bookings here and there, and on the morning of February 10th, 2003, Kurt Hennig was found dead in a hotel room in Tampa, Florida, due to acute cocaine intoxication. He was 44 years old. This came as a shock to many, especially to his friends and family. Ric Flair said after Kurt's passing, It just caught me off guard. It was just one of those things that I never imagined would happen as I never felt sorry for Kurt. I never saw Kurt as having anything wrong. I just thought he was on top of the world. Did you know Kurt was battling demons at the time? Was he doing drugs when, when you were around him? No, I never knew and I never hung around him either. We were just together on the shows. I always liked him and I felt horribly when this happened to him and I knew he had a large family, both um, Larry the X and his brothers and sisters, you know, the Larry the X had several family members and it's just a nightmare when you outlive your children. I can't imagine what that's like, but I got to see my mother firsthand, you know, when it happened to her. You know, I lost my brother and my mother was still alive another six years and it took all I could do to keep her fighting it out day to day and try to put a smile back on her face. So, um, no, it's a, it's a nightmare. And uh, for the people listening, I want you to know it can happen to anybody. So don't think it can't happen to you. Drugs suck. Now, I am of the opinion politically, I wish they would decriminalize all drugs because what's happening now is, is not working. And um, remember... Well, I was, I know you're not old enough to know prohibition failed. So why they should, why should they have prohibition about anything so that the people can get the help they need? I'm with you on that one. Absolutely. Now, Joe Hennig, Curtis Axel had this to say about his father's passing. February 10th, 2003 was the worst day of my life. He wasn't always my dad. He was like a brother. He was my hero, but most of all, he was my best friend. There's not a day that goes by that I don't think of him. I have dreams about him all the time that he's still here. And sometimes I just sit there and I cry. I wish he was still here. And I know the fans feel the same way. It was a huge loss to wrestling and one can only imagine how much valuable input he'd be able to be given right now to the next batch of talent had he still been around. It came as a huge shock to fans who grew up watching him wrestle. And for me, I don't think there was a match I watched more as a kid than his against Bret Hart at SummerSlam 91. I've got a VHS of that still at my mom's house, and I'm surprised it still plays. I watch that all the time. To put it simply, he was special. On March 31st, 2007, he was posthumously inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame by his good friend, baseball legend Wade Boggs. And through outlets like the WWE Network and through his son Curtis Axel, his memory and legacy gets to live on for new generations of fans. Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share on your friend Kurt Hennig? Yes, I do, and I know you're the man to do it for me. Can you please, in, you know, Randy's 
CD that came out, Be a Man, I refused to do anything against Hulk Hogan on that CD, but I volunteered to do something really wonderful for Kurt Henning. Please play that song. This one goes out to my real close friend and buddy, Kurt Hennig, a.k.a. Mr. Perfect. Just want to let you know that you're missed, but you'll never be forgotten. You've always been an incredible friend. We just want you to know that we got your back, party system style, from the macho man, Randy Savage. Hey, Kurt, we miss you, but we know you're in a better place. It's kind of hard as time goes on and I don't see your face. So I'm clinching and I'm holding on to memories Remember the times rolling strong, just you and me It's real hard sometimes to keep it going day to day But I know you wouldn't want it any other way So I keep it moving, doing what I gotta do And as a tribute, I'm dedicating a song to you song i wrote every word of it randy sang it and randy loved kurt henning just as much as i did what a fantastic person and he will be forever 
in my memory during the greatest four months of my career. We're going to go into the fan questions of the week. We're going to start off with the recording that was made from a listener in Dundee, Scotland. Genius, I absolutely loved your performance at the Caird Hall in Dundee. I just really want to know, when are you coming back to Scotland? You were recently out in Dundee, Scotland for a Scottish wrestling entertainment show in August where you sang the song Flower of Scotland for the fans, which you can hear in our very first episode of the Genius Cast. So when are you going back to Scotland? Well, here's the problem with that. David Lowe is not just a promoter, he's my very, very dear friend. Now, how would it be if I agreed to go to Scotland and then New Japan called me up and said I had to do something for them? And I would feel horribly to do that to my very dear friend, but that's exactly what I'd have to do. That's why I'm not going back to Scotland, because I don't want to say I'm going back and then don't. I don't want to have to cancel. And I hate canceling. I had to do it to a very good man in Cleveland, and uh, I hated doing it. And, uh, you know, but that's the way it is. Sometimes, you know, they you got to make a decision. As long as New Japan is loyal to Lanny, Lanny will be loyal to New Japan. That's the way I am. Who signs my check is whose praise I sing. You obviously made a huge impact on those fans in Dundee. I get letters all the time from people writing into our Genius Cast social media accounts just talking about how great it was and they want you to come back. So you never know. You might go back there down the line. Who knows where life takes us. So if you do end up going back to Scotland, you'll hear it here first. That's right. Jesus Rodriguez. He wrote in on Facebook and he sent a lot of video clips of Huracan Castillo versus Randy in a match in Puerto Rico for the World Wrestling Council promotion in 1985. Rip Rogers was commentator for the match. Jesus looks back on this match fondly as it's one of the most remembered angles in the history of the promotion. Your father, Angelo, he also wrestled for the WWC in the 70s as well. Were you ever asked to work for Carlos Colon? And also, do you remember any stories of Randy or Angelo when they were in Puerto Rico? I wrestled Carlos Colon in 1974 in Atlanta for Ann Gunkel and Tom Ernesto. And a couple of times I was going to go to Puerto Rico and wrestle for Carlos Colon. And I something always came up and I always couldn't make it. So, you know, but I never left him high and dry. I just let him know I couldn't go. And for some reason, I never wrestled in Puerto Rico. I did wrestle in Dominican Republic. And uh, wow, what poverty. He mentions that that match that your brother had with Huracan Castillo is one of the best matches that that promotion ever had. Did Randy ever talk about his time there? Yeah, he talked about it a little bit. Que lastima, huh? That's what a pity. That, that's what he was gimmick. You know, he would he would go up. He he had two years of high school Spanish just like I did. But he had that interview. He would go up and say, Que lastima. That was his gimmick. That's good to know that the fans out there still love that match. I had a look and it's really great. So definitely go on YouTube. We'll share it out on our social media accounts as well where you can see this match that he had with Huracan Castillo. Jesus follows up with the question, What was the worst riot you ever saw? The worst riot I've ever seen. Yeah, because they say the Puerto Rican crowds, they're pretty hot. You know, you hear things about batteries being thrown, old women in the audience hitting the wrestlers as they're going by. What what was the worst thing you ever saw as a wrestler when it just got too much heat? 
the worst one I ever caused was in Boston Garden. And I went, I am the genius, Lanny Poffo. I always know what's up. The Bruins haven't got a chance to win the Stanley Cup. The people go, oh. <laughs> Cheap heat. The Red Sox haven't won in years. I hope they never do. The Celtics are a travesty. The Patriots are too. <gasps> oh, the people go crazy. Fan jumps in the ring. I belted him. Never give a sucker an even break. And then I started the third verse. And Boston's finest jump in the ring because another fan jumps in the ring. These people like to drink. And um, like, who doesn't? Okay, but I always used to get cheap heat. But I always try to control it and not cause a riot because I thought that would go overboard. But um, fortunately, Vince McMahon had a lot of security and he had a thing called guardrails, which some promoters didn't have. So the security people were told that if anybody hopped over the guardrail, they were not to get far. So um, Vince McMahon took care of his wrestlers very, very well. Well, you had those guardrails, but it doesn't 100% stop fans. Like I didn't realize that you had fans jump in the ring with you at some point. Now, what happened to that fan? And you said there was others that jumped in too when you were making that promo. What happened afterwards? I never kept in touch with them. <laughs> <laughs> Not personally. I mean, what happened? Did they, did they go to jail? Were charges pressed? No charges were pressed. Really? Um, but the, it, it's the thing that it's the match that made them know that I could be a heel. I mean, that was good, obviously, for you that you're generating this heat. But, you know, you definitely got to put your foot down when people jump in the ring. I mean, I've heard stories of, you know, Steve Austin talking about the time he was in a match with Triple H and somebody came into the ring. I think they were in Germany. I might be wrong. But Steve mentions that it was one of the scariest moments of his life because it's not scripted. Obviously, fans are unpredictable. They could do anything in those moments. I mean, you've had fans who would stab people you know so did did you have any of these crazy images going through your head when the fan was coming in well you don't get a chance to be afraid until it's over and then you realize what it could have happened but the thing is i caught him between the ropes if i had caught him in the ring and he was already in the ring safe and sound then it would have been an even fight never give a sucker an even break i caught him coming between the ropes i'm a cowardly bastard i, I have a story on pro wrestling stories.com where uh when hulk hogan when he turned heel and joined the NWO and WCW, a fan jumped in the ring, and Kevin Nash and Scott Hall sucker punched this guy. I mean, when you step into the ring with wrestlers, bear the consequences. That's true, and uh, those are big guys. You don't want to mess with them. What was he thinking? Must have been drunk. Daytona, I believe it was there. Now, for our last question this week, there's a picture that's been going around on social media over the past few days of you dressed up in a medieval suit of armor. A lot of our listeners have been writing in asking about this. Sir Lanny, tell us more about your portrayal of a knight. Well, I, I had an idea for a gimmick. I always think of gimmicks. I'm thinking of one right now, okay? <laughs> and uh, there's always got to be some gimmick. So I used it on my first appearance at uh, Tuesday Night Titans TNT. And I went in my suit of armor and I said, look back through the annals of history and the wrestling hall of fame, men from all nations with courage to spare, who struggled to carve out a name. Now compare these high standards of valor to those chivalrous knights of yore, with bravery staunches their armor, their glory both legend and lore. My medieval connection with wrestling relives that magnificent past. Though mindless skeptics may snicker and scoff, the winner is he who laughs last. 
Alive with the love of wrestling, I appear on TNT between Vince and Awful Alfred, the hottest show on TV. I'm not your average wrestler, but I wouldn't want to be. I never scream or kiss my arms. I'm happy just being me. I call myself Leaping Lanny. I validate what I say to every single wrestling fan who's watching USA. Yes, I believe in miracles as God has blessed this great land. I believe the referee will soon be raising my hand. That's awesome. I'm surprised nothing came of that gimmick. What? So after you recorded that, you weren't asked to carry on being a knight wearing the suit of armor? Well, Howard Finkel had an idea that they were going to have bunkhouse battle royals where everybody got to dress up any way they wanted. I wore the suit of armor for all those battle royals. But by the time the... I must have done 15 battle royals. By the time it was done, my armor was so shabby, I got disgusted and threw it all away. Because, you know, it was not real armor. It was theatrical armor. It was the kind of armor that if you were playing Sir Lancelot in Camelot, that's what you would wear. So it wasn't really armor. It was look like armor, okay? Like the armor from medieval times. Yes, but it was theatrical. I see. What a shame. Definitely hit up YouTube. You can find him on there and see the short-lived gimmick of Sir Lanny. It's been a great week. It's been a good, fun episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And tell your friends. Go on social media. Find us at The Genius Cast. Let us know what you think. Spread the word. Hit subscribe if you haven't already. Lanny, any parting thoughts? Do your best and forget the rest. And with that, so ends our episode of The Genius Cast. Goodbye. Bye-bye. I just want to say not as the genius, not as Leaping Lanny, as Lanny Poffo. Thank you to all the fans that made this Genius Cast a big success. It's a lot of fun to do. I hope it's fun to listen to. We can't thank you enough, guys. And thank you to everyone who's already left a five-star review on iTunes. Every single one of those is going to help our show grow. If you haven't done so already, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Genius Cast. We're going to be using those accounts to keep the Poffo family memory alive. Quick shout out to ProWrestlingTees.com where you can get both of Lanny's shirts for sale. You've got the Black Machismo Jay Lethal on one side and you've got Lanny on the other. And also don't forget the new Genius Glow shirt for sale. You'll look great in front of your friends and you'll get a shout out on our show. Thank you to all the fans who've written in and sent in your poems that you wrote specifically for this show. That means a lot. You can continue to do that and send Macho Man Clip of the Week suggestions and questions for the show to thegeniuscast at prowrestlingstories.com. We had a lot of fun this week and we can't wait to bring you a new Genius Cast each Monday, so don't forget to subscribe. I'm J.P. Zarka, and you can find me on Twitter at J.P. Zarka, that's Z-like zebra, A-R-K-A. That's it for now. So long and goodbye. You've been listening to The Genius Cast with Lanny Poffo. This has been a ProWrestlingStories.com production. Find them on social media at the Genius Cast, at Lanny Poffo, or at JP Zarka.
If you'd like to advertise to thousands of dedicated listeners on the show each week, send an email to the Genius Cast at ProWrestlingStories.com. Until next time.